You're listening to Opera Innovations, a podcast brought to you by ABA Technologies. This month on the University Series, we're talking with Utah Valley University and Drs. Jane Carlson and Dr. Caleb Stanley. And also, we have two of their graduate students joining us as well. So without further ado, UVU. So today we are here talking with Utah Valley University with Dr. Jane Carlson, Dr. Caleb Stanley, and two of their students, a second year, Sydney Jensen, and a first year, Michaela Campbell. So welcome all, and thank you so much. Thank you for having us. And I'm excited to jump in. So I'm going to pass it over to you and ask for, you know, a general overview of the program. Okay, sure. Uh, I'll give sort of a general overview of where we're situated, and then I'll pass it over to Dr. Stanley to talk about the details of the ABA Masters. So Utah Valley University is, is, is kind of unique. We feel like we're this little hidden gem in Orem, Utah. We're actually the largest university in the state of Utah. Um, I know, despite what people think, we are, we are the biggest. Um, we're an open enrollment university, uh, and uh, it started in 1941 actually as a vocational technical school and has grown into a full-fledged university. Um, and one of the unique things about uh, UVU and, and one of the reasons that, that um, I decided to, to land there as a professor is that almost all of the classes are taught by professors, and almost all of the professors have actual practical experience working in the field that they're teaching about. Um, And we also have a very strong community focus. So I'm the director of the Melissa Nelson Center for Autism. uh, And that's in the School of Education where the ABA program is is housed. And our building, uh, the Melissa Nelson Center for Autism uh, building was funded entirely by donations from the local community. Not a penny of state or university money went into building the building. And we take that responsibility towards the community very seriously. And I think it's reflected in our behavior analysis master's program. Yeah, so thank you for having having us again. And um, I'll share a little bit about um, our ABA master's program. So um, our ABA master's program has started, um, what year did it start, Jane, 2016? 2017, yeah, five years. Yeah, so um, it's, it's relatively new. Um, but uh, it's it's a two year program, so um, that has coursework as well as you know the embedded kind of practicum sequence um, as well. And um, within that, uh, our our program is verified course sequence, which you know means that uh, we submit our coursework to ABAI. It's been approved, and so when students um, finish the coursework and um, finish their hours, they're already um, they're ready to sit for for the test. Um, Let's see. And uh, within that, we always have um, each semester, uh, we have um, a couple of content classes and a uh, like practicum course as well. And, um, you know, so each of the content classes focus on like a specific topic, either, you know, like ABA principles, functional assessment, you know, so on and so forth. And um, so the students, as they're going through the program, they have an opportunity to take the, the content classes as well as that, that practicum class as well. And within that practicum class, they um, get group supervision from us, focus on you know, different topics, um, applications to the field, things that they have going on in kind of their work setting, so on and so forth. And um, 
that's the kind of general setup of it. Um, students typically uh, go through our program in about six semesters. So we start during the summer, which is a little bit different than what some places do. Um, so they go summer, fall, spring, summer, fall, spring, and uh, they finish. Um, in addition to like the coursework and um, kind of the practicum sequence that they go through here, um, students also kind of get set up at a practicum site within the community, like a supervision site, essentially, where they get uh, are able to obtain their um, fieldwork hours, you know, to be able to sit for the exam. And what Jane and I do is try to make sure that we um, we have pretty kind of, I guess, good oversight of, you know, what's going on in the community and the different sites so that um, our students are getting like a really good um, practical experience and can become competent in all the different kind of um, skill sets that they need to become a behavior analyst. Jane, did you want to add anything to that? No, I think you summed it up very well. Yeah, those community partnerships that we have with the local agencies are really important to us um, in making sure that, that our students get that quality supervision. And I think it shows in our results. We've, even though we're a, a young program, we've developed a very strong reputation in the local community. And, um, and the majority of our graduates stay and live and work in our community here in Utah. And that's really exciting just because that shows that not only is, you know, the program there, but then also that your students are going out and staying in the area, which then ultimately will foster some other partner, potential other partnerships. And then it just keeps this cycle going and growing out as well. So that's really exciting. And I know we'll jump a little bit more into the nitty gritty of the program, but how about the faculty and maybe some of the research interests that are going on as well. Well, the faculty is, is sitting right here with you today. <laughs> it's, it's Caleb and I. Um, we have a couple of other behavior analysts who are affiliated with the School of Ed and the Center. Um, so uh, Professor Call, who teaches mostly in our undergraduate autism studies program, but does step in and teach a course for us occasionally. And then my associate director for the Center of Autism, Lori Bowen is also a behavior analyst. And again, will occasionally um, provide us with some additional program support. Um, again, we're just five years into this program, so it's still pretty small, but, um, you know, starting to grow. So, um, you know, as the new, uh, we take on the new changes that are being required by ABAI, it might afford us the opportunity to bring in two, an additional faculty. Um, but I think, um, you know, Caleb and I, um, complement each other very well in terms of our areas of expertise. So I'm the old lady who's been in the field for a long time out there doing practical work in nonprofits. And Caleb is uh, super research focused, has, has published more articles than anyone his age ever should really, um, and is very embedded in, in contemporary practice uh, in the field. And, you know, I could kind of expand on, you know, my specific research interests as well. Um, so, yeah, as Jane mentioned, it's just her and I here. Um, Jane's done a lot of work with uh, like functional communication, functional assessment, stuff like that. Um, and where, where I've kind of got my expertise, where I do a lot of research is in the area of um, complex language um, development, specifically in the application to individuals with autism. And so, um, you know, I try to stay up to date on that, do some research related to um, kind of more contemporary or like basically what's the best ways in which we can facilitate uh, language development and complex language um, 
in these individuals who have deficits in these areas. And, um, you know, in my little research lab, I have uh, Sydney and Michaela, who's here with us, that kind of helped me out with some research projects and, and stuff like that. So just to clarify, we're, we're not a thesis program at this point. We're a portfolio program. So our students throughout the course of their practicum sequence, the six semesters of their practicum, produce a case study each semester. Um, and then we, we compile those along with other um, products that clearly demonstrate that they've mastered certain um, skills that are, that are critical to being able to practice into a, a, a comprehensive portfolio. And I mean, that is the one of the main purposes of this podcast is to show that not all programs are for everybody. Mm -hmm. And there is a pro, but there is a program out there for everybody, depending oh, yeah. on what your focus is and what you want your focus to be. And I know we kind of talked about them a little bit in the intro there in the overview, but I'm very interested in what some of these practicum sites are and these experiences that the students have available to them. Well, yeah, they really run the gamut. So um, in every cohort, we're also a cohort model program. So students come in together um, and take their entire course sequence as a group. Uh, we always have one or two students in every cohort who are public school teachers, um, typically special education teachers. Uh, in Utah, having behavior analysts in the public schools is still relatively new. So we're very careful to make sure that, that um, they are in districts where they can be well supported. Um, we have um, your, you know, your typical um, fee-for-service third-party billable agencies. Um, and a lot of our students work in um, those organizations. And again, we vet those organizations to make sure that they've got seasoned behavior analysts who are providing the supervision and that the, the structure um, and the, um, the philosophy and implementation of the program is consistent with what we consider to be high quality. Um, we have a local uh, program that's for young adults of transition age um, on the autism spectrum, spectrum. So folks who would formerly have been diagnosed with uh, Asperger's syndrome, um, who are, you know, working on developing those skills that they need to be successful in independent living and and um, and work in the community. Uh, and every year we have a student or two that uh, is working in that program and being supervised by the behavior analysts in that program. Uh, and then we have students working with adults in residential facilities, all the way to, um, you know, preschoolers uh, in inclusive settings. And I, I love hearing that because a lot of the times when you hear about some of these more, you know, applied clinical programs, you hear about early intervention, but then it stops right. sometimes. Yeah. I love hearing about the transition programs and also the adults, because for me personally, that's where I had the best time with my experiences with clients is I loved those ages. I loved being able to go into group homes and not only working with the clients, but also with the group home staff, because that's a big part of it as well. And with the caregivers of teenagers, that's just fun. <laughs> um, if anyone's ever done it, um, that is, I, I know I've personally had a lot of interesting conversations that I don't think I ever 
expected to have. Through the Melissa Nelson Center for Autism, we have a, a TIPSID program, which is for students with intellectual disability. So many of those students also have autism. Um, and then we have um, a, a supports available through the Center for Autism for college students uh, on the spectrum. So we have a passages program, which occurs every semester for eight weeks. The students meet twice a week, and it's a combination of um, of class type experiences and social experiences, again, to help them achieve their personal independent living goals. Uh, and then we have educational coaching, which is a peer mentor program to help students with all those, all those things that are not necessarily course content, um, but all of the executive functioning stuff that allows college students to be successful, how to communicate with your teachers, how to um, integrate into that rich social life that's available at college. Um, so yeah, we do have that through the center. That's really exciting. I love hearing that. And I love hearing that more of those types of programs are popping up all over because it was more so a new thing back in the day when I was yeah. in my program, which was only about seven years ago is when I graduated. So um, it's really interesting to see just in, you know, a relatively short period of time, how much has come from that. So that's really exciting. Yeah. And we're a member of the College Autism Network. And um, it's really nice to see the growth all across the country of, um, you know, programs to serve students with autism and other uh, disabilities on campuses. And now to get into, you know, some more of the conversation with some of our, with our two students that we have here, they've been sitting here patiently waiting for their turn. Um, I'm really interested in hearing, you know, what, what's the student experience like, you know, what should incoming, potentially, you know, incoming students expect from UVU's program? Um, I think a big part of it is a sense of community. Within UVU, I think Jane has spoken a little bit towards that, but especially at UVU, it feels like one big community and that everything is focused on improving the community as much as possible and centering around that aspect. Within the community model, but also within the cohort model, you get to experience the situation where everyone's from a different place. So because there's such a variety of experience across the fieldwork, we kind of have a great support system within each other. And as I'm approaching the end, we've all frequently talked about how much we'll miss that. The opportunity to meet not only with our mentors and professors, but to meet with each other and to hear experiences from the adult side, from the special education background, from the clinical perspective is really valuable. Well, and I'll tell you one thing too, if you already have that set up, it's not gonna go away when you leave because I still get emails from my grad lab all the time as the meeting as a whole, you know, the last couple of years meeting virtually, which has been really nice because I was in Florida for part of that. So I was still able to, you know, meet up with them, even though most of them were in Michigan and other parts of the country teaching. So it sounds like the program is really fostering this type of community to help continue that even after the students are, you know, out of the program as well. I completely agree with Sydney, just the sense of community as well as like, just expect like the growth of opportunities that you have is like exponential. I feel like I've had so many um, opportunities for growth and like learning. And I 
and like so grateful for those just like experiences and research I've been able to have the experiences in the classroom getting to know people like I felt so supported by my professors anything I need they're there and just that feeling of it's so fun just to continue to learn and not and they just have such an importance on not only education right now but just continuing education no matter where we're at like just no matter where we are at life just continue that education and it's been it's been really awesome and then I mean what have you two been working on so I know Michaela you've been here for a year but you know Sydney you've been here for two now so I mean what are some of the exciting things that you've worked on and that you hope to maybe continue to um, research-based with Caleb, I've worked on things like identifying like climate change behaviors and what like correlates between green behaviors and your potential opinions on that. Done a lot of research with looking at different, like the densities of relations that we create. Um, so that's been interesting and a little confusing to understand, but Caleb's really helpful <laughs> with me to be able to understand all of the intricacies of derived relations. Um, doing a lot of interest in things like the content validity of all of the assessments that we use in applied behavior open analysis and how we can use more complex language approaches to teaching um, our clients. There's been a lot of interest in trying to do as many functional analysis approaches as I possibly can to make sure that I'm working as hard as my clients are to gain new skills. Because I feel like my clients work really, really hard to do the things that they're capable of. And UVU has allowed me the opportunity to work just as hard as them to be able to support them. I think that's the first time I've ever heard it explained like that. And I actually really love hearing it explained like that. So thank you for that. All right, how about you, Michaela? So on top of that, we're really excited. We're going to AVAI in Boston in May. And so we all have posters that we're presenting and a couple of posters that I'm presenting on um, have dealt with self-management systems in an inclusive classroom, which has been really interesting to do. And then um, some BSC training for parents on how to pair with their children. And so I'm really excited for that. It's going to be awesome to go and present and just get those opportunities to learn and grow. And it's been awesome. And then just a ton of research opportunities on top of that. We have a, a conference here at UVU that we run every year affiliated with the Center for Autism. This was our 12th year uh, that we've run that conference. And it's pretty unique. So we do have um, BCBA CEs that, that, we, uh, that we offer, um, but we also offer things for pretty much everyone in our autism community. So we have, um, you know, continuing ed credits for professionals. We have things that are specifically beneficial to special education teachers for parents of individuals on the spectrum. And then uh, sessions that are beneficial for autistic individuals as well. I love to hear that too, because even bringing the awareness throughout the community and also being able to connect some of those parents and potential educators to some of what's going on is, is very important. Um, I had some experience being able to help facilitate a conference like that. And that is something that I, I learned greatly from and never thought that I would use it in my future job ever. I thought it was just, you know, something else that my faculty member was throwing on me, but, um, that's what I do for work. 
now is professional development and training. So it was, yeah, it was something that was just really great to experience. And I know that we've talked about, you know, an overview, the faculty, the practicum experience, the student experience. Um, How about we've, I've talked to a couple other of the universities in Utah already. So, um, but you know, if people don't listen to that, they may hear Utah and they may have some preconceived notions of what to expect. So I like to hear it, you know, from all of you because you're in Utah and you know what's going on. So what, you know, if somebody came to UVU to visit, what could they expect the surroundings to be? I mean, I just looked it up on a map too, just to see whereabouts in Utah it is. But, you know, what's the, what's the surroundings like? What's, what's Utah like? Yeah, uh, let's see. It's adventure oh. land. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, when I the first time I ever came out to Utah was when I interviewed uh, at UVU, and then the second time was when I moved. <laughs> um, so I'd never been to Utah before, you know, um, getting my job out here. But uh, you know, it's it's kind of a, a cool little place where where we live. Um, you know, we live in you know, of course, uh, the valley here. It's the name Utah Valley University. But um, I don't, I don't know how to really describe it. Jane, do you want to kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, right. So, so the valley is bordered on two sides by mountain ranges. So the, the, the one that most people know about is what we call the Wasatch Front, which is just, I mean, when you're sitting at the valley floor, there's nowhere you can be where you don't see the beautiful mountains that are around us. Um, and within a, you know, a 20 minute drive of anywhere you are, there's just some spectacular geography, um, you know, natural wonder that, that you don't see anywhere else. And, and I'm sort of in the same boat as Caleb, you know, I, I came out here skiing a few times when I was in high school, um, back in the seventies, um, and, uh, you know, visited a few times to, to do outdoor things since then. Um, and then moved out here, uh, you know, when this opportunity came along and uh, both Caleb and I are, are uh, campers and hikers. So we tend to do a lot of that kind of thing on our time off, but there's always something to do. Yeah. And it looks like you're really close to a pretty large lake from what the map shows. It may be skewed on the map. Yeah. It looks like a pretty decent size as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I believe that's like a Utah lake. Uh, we're really close to you I mean you can see it where where we're sitting where uh, you know Michaela Sydney and I we're on campus right now and you can see it right out our our window that and the mountains and um, you know kind of continue what Jane was saying it's you know we're all into the outdoor stuff and so it, this is almost like a little outdoor um, haven you know you got hiking skiing camping any of that you can imagine but you know um, it's also got a lot of well, fun, fun areas and things to do, you know, um, you drive a little bit and you can do all the camping and outdoor stuff, but, you know, you also have, um, you know, cities, uh, Orem and then Salt Lake, uh, is relatively close. So you have, you know, easy access to that as well. Yeah. There's so. a great live music scene in Salt Lake. Um, there's some really nice smaller venues and then, um, 
you know, there's a, a bunch of outdoor uh, venues that, that really operate from early in the spring until late in the fall because the climate in the valley is actually fairly temperate, even though we're known for our snow out here in Utah. I was just going to um, ask about what the weather's like. Yeah. Uh, I know it can vary. Yeah, you know, I moved from at. New England and, you know, one of the things about New England snow is that that first snow that falls the first snowfall of the year is still under the snow in the spring. <laughs> it just stays cold and mounts up and, and the, you know, the sun does nothing in the winter to, to keep you warm. And here, even though our elevation is high, like when it snows in the Valley, um, it doesn't stick around for that long. It's usually only on the ground for a couple of days. And even when it's frigid cold outside, if you walk outside and stand in the sun, you feel a little warmer. <laughs> And it is sunny most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I grew up uh, in Mississippi and so very hot, humid and rainy a, a whole lot. Um, and then when I moved out here, um, it was hot, but it, it was different. It wasn't like that humid kind of sticky, kind of nasty hot. It was, to me, I liked it a little bit better. And then I was, you know, really surprised at how little it rained, you know, comparatively. I'm used to it raining, you know, at least, uh, you know, once or twice a week back, back home. But here, you know, during the summer, it's, I don't know, maybe once a month or something. So, which I kind of like. <laughs> I was going to say, Utah is a little bit closer to the desert, though. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we are considered high desert. So right. you do have to wear your sunscreen and lotion all year round. <laughs> you, you do have to have lotion as a budget line. But how about from our students, Sydney and Michaela? Are you from Utah? Are you from the area? Are you used to this? You know, what what is living in Utah like for you two? Um, yeah, I, I'm from Utah. I'm from just like 15 minutes away from UVU, my hometown. So I've always been around it. I personally love fall here because of the mountains and all of the trees, all of the colors change, but then you've got the evergreen trees that stay beautifully green. It's just gorgeous. I grew up all of our vacations centered around Utah, traveling to Moab and Arches and all of the national parks. For a long time, I was super passionate about the national parks and wanted to go into conservation or become a park ranger. And as much as I love it, I have loved um, autism studies way more, but I spend a lot of my time outside. I have like five tents. It's becoming a problem at this point in my life. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Like I frequently enjoy sleeping in my sleeping bag because I, I just like it, you know? It's just really fun here to be outside and it's just really beautiful, honestly. I, I super love the environment here. And I'm from North Idaho, but I've lived in Utah for the past like five years. Um, and I love it. One of my like husband and I favorite things to do is like go to, it's the nicest thing that you can take a little drive and you're at like so many different national parks and there's so many different views. You can get the red rock, you can get the mountains, you can get, you have the lake. There's so many different things to do. And it's right now it's like 60 degrees. It's amazing. Like it's just the best weather. And it's like, right. We could just see Mount Tipanogos right there. It's, it's like you're on a backdrop always. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's definitely on my list to visit. That is for sure. So the closest I'm going to get is this year when I go to Arizona. Um, but that's about as close as, you know, I've been on like both sides of Utah, but never 
in Utah. So I'm excited to go visit, especially after talking to some more of the universities that are there and, you know, spread across the state and really exploring it just because it, 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 it looks beautiful to me from the pictures, but I'm excited to experience it firsthand. Um, and so how about one thing we haven't covered yet is the application process. You know, I know usually it's pretty standard, but you know, are there interviews? Are there like, what should applicants expect from that process? Um, well, pre-COVID or COVID times? <laughs> that yeah. depends where well, you at. You can, you yeah, can say where you're at right now too, we, because we, everyone to, knows that things have changed over the last <laughs> couple of years. Yeah, we've had to pivot a little bit. And, and again, we're a new program. So it seems like we, we were just getting our feet under us and, and COVID hit, but uh, it's a two-stage application. Um, uh, it's a three-stage application process. So they fill out the online application. We do not require the GRE. Um, and that's a relief to many applicants. Um, so we review the applications and then we select our pool for initial interviews. Um, so the, our typical process that we like to do is um, individual interviews first, and then we do a group interview day. Um, but during COVID, we sort of had to pivot from that and, and we've been relying on those individual interviews. And then we do a group orientation with the pool that we've accepted. Um, so, and we might, you know, Caleb and I haven't really talked about how we're gonna continue that process yet now that we're things are opening up and we're more able to do some of that in-person stuff. But, you know, we may retain those in those virtual individual interviews um, going forward because we think they've worked really well for us. What do you think, Caleb? Yeah, you know, I, I initially I wasn't really a fan of the whole online uh, anything, but, you know, I think there is some um, benefits afforded by the, you know, virtual interviews, you know, just mostly like it's easier to kind of schedule um, for both, you know, myself and the applicant. Um, and it's just a little more conducive um, to that whole process, I guess. Um, so um, I think going forward, you know, just due to the flexibility of it, we might do like the, at least some interviews or some portion of it will be virtual, but definitely not rolling out um, in-person interviews. Um, and I will say like, you know, I think one kind of cool thing or um, a benefit, uh, you know, during our application process is after we interview, um, you know, that's kind of like one of the final things that we do before you hear back from us. And so after applicants interview with us, um, they typically hear back about, you know, whether they got accepted. Um, we, you know, we, we try to send an offer within a week. Um, so we're, we're very quick with, uh, you know, reviewing applications, getting interviews, and then getting back to them. That way they're not like, you know, sitting there all anxious, wondering, you know, what's going on. And yeah. one question I think that's important surrounding this is I know that, you know, with the cohort model, but you start in the summer, mm -hmm. what does that do for your application deadlines? Our application deadlines, we have an early applicant deadline um, of December 10th um, and the, the final-ish deadline on um, January 10th, but we continue accepting if we still have room in the cohort we continue accepting applications 
through, uh, April, is it April 1st that they changed yeah. it this year, April, Caleb, yeah. Um, so we will, you know, prioritize that initial pool that comes in for December. And then we interview the, the candidates um, from the, the January pool and then see how much space we have available. So technically you just kind of closed that final pool you know, mm -hmm. what could potential applicants expect for, you know, how many students you take a year? Well, we can, we started um, with a cohort cap of 10 uh, and we've expanded that. We will take up to 20 now. Um, and we've had um, the last three cohorts, we've been 12 to 15. Awesome. I think that's, I think that's a great size, especially for the program. I mean, getting that number of clinicians out almost every year is very important. So, and, you know, to really go out there and do the applied work mm -hmm. that's going to be needed. And like you said, working in the schools is still new. So, you know, slowly getting some of them in as well and back out there, that's going to, that's going to do so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and so it's good that we can, you know, kind of keep, you know, a consistent number and get that many um, BCBAs out each year. Um, but I also think it's, you know, that's a small enough number where, you know, we still have a lot of, um, you know, input and um, can provide like a, a level of support to our students um, that's very personalized and individualized. Um, you know, with it being 15 students, they still get, you know, their individual time with us. If they need to meet, you know, I'm always happy to sit down and, you know, help them out or, you know, with whatever. So it's, you know, it's large enough that we're continually expanding, you know, the population of behavior analysts here in this area, but, you know, you're, it's not so large that you're missing out on like those valuable, like learning opportunities or personalized experiences. Um, and so we're, you know, I think keeping it kind of relatively small um, allows us to kind of still retain that that kind of aspect of it. Yeah, Our, we're really focused on quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. um, we want to turn out the best, most ethical behavior analysts that we can. We really focus on clinical decision making, um, and as Caleb said, that personal approach. So, you know, the students that are here today are very interested in research, so they have opportunities to do that. Other Students are really focused on a particular clinical uh, skill set, and we're able to support them in making connections to to develop that. But quality is super important to us. Mm -hmm. And I will brag a little bit. You're happy to you can edit this out if you want. But no, um, brag away. That is what this is for. Please brag. The last um, published uh, pass rate. Ours is the highest in the state of Utah. <laughs> Nobody can see me, but I was clapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're very, very proud of that. On that. That's very, very exciting. And I think that that just speaks to, you know, what you both just said is that you found, you have found this very good balance right now, you know, over the last five years of, okay, how many students can we bring in, but still keep the quality Right. High as well. And I think with the areas that your students are working in, it's going to be a really neat thing to see what's happening in Utah over the next five to 10 years. 
because of the areas and the impact that can come from working in those areas could be huge. So that's really exciting. Um, and I know we've covered a lot, but I do want to open up the floor. You know, is there anything else that you want to make sure that listeners know about UVU? I'll, I'll let our students answer that. <laughs> Yeah, what should what should incoming students know? Is it, you know, is it really hard? Is it, you know, things that are super unpleasant about our approach? And definitely be honest because I mean, yeah, this is hopefully where people are learning about the programs and if it's a good fit for them. So, you know, what are some of the things that make it, you know, really good fits for both of you as well? I mean, it is really difficult. I, I absolutely think that it, it has been a very difficult experience and I've been pushed really hard. But like Michaela mentioned earlier, the opportunity for growth is a huge part of that. I don't think that we would be able to be the clinicians that we will be without that push. And it would be difficult to this, to an extent that you might want to quit unless you didn't have great mentors. Caleb and Jane are both so willing to support us in every sense of the word and so able to sit down with us. Oftentimes, if there's an issue with any of the work that I've created, both of them, instead of just emailing me or something, they say, please come in. We need to sit down and let's go over this and see how to make it better. And they're very invested in your growth. And that's something that's been so helpful for me that not only that is it difficult in pushing me to be the best behavior analyst that I can be, but that I know that I have a good support system behind me the entire time. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I, I think too that we work with this population of people and kids that are just amazing. And so the fact that I can come here and we get pushed to be our best, I, that's what they deserve. And just the emphasis on evidence-based practice and being the best clinician we can be. I think that's, that should be the standard for anyone um, working with this wonderful population. And I'm just like grateful for these opportunities because yes, while Sunday said it is so hard, it's, um, it's what we need to do and they deserve the best. And so we've got to like work and push ourselves to just be the best we can be and continue our education and be familiar with all the research out there and be familiar with all the assessments and things like that. And in order to put their needs first. And how about from our two faculty? You know, is there anything else? You know, this is the bragging hour. So is there anything else that you want to make sure is out there? You know, I think the most gratifying thing for me um, is seeing the growth over the six semesters. So I get to see them that, that first semester in their first, you know, group supervision where they're undertaking their first case study. And now this semester I'm seeing, you know, Sydney's cohort presenting their last case study. And, and uh, some of them have been coming into the office to give me little previews, ask me for feedback on what they're putting together. And it's amazing to me, you know, how, how much, they're able to demonstrate their, their skill development um, and, and really come together as that complete package of, of that ethical, uh, empathetic, clinical decision maker and really demonstrate that um, very clearly in the work that they're producing. 
Yeah. Um, let's see. I guess if I had any like kind of final thoughts or comments, um, you know, I I think if anyone's you know interested in you know coming here, um, no, I, I I I'll just loop back around to like what we kind of mentioned in the beginning and it being very um, community driven and focused and you know I mean that both at a broader level of you know UVU and the you know the community here uh, at large you know we we are trying to like produce some of the you know the best behavior analysts that we can by providing them with any opportunity that um, you know we can as as professors you know whether you know a student you know if they want to become you know a clinician and work directly with the clients you know we try to arrange opportunities and um assignments and such so that they can get the, that experience and um be the best behavior analyst that they can be or if you know a student wants to do research or pursue a phd you know i, I try to support them in in that aspect as well and so you know i think in that way you know we're kind of contributing to like this larger community but also the community that's kind of here within uh the program um is you know as we mentioned very very supportive um in that you know i like you know, I will support my students no matter what, what they want to do. If they want to be a clinician, if they want to get a PhD, if they want to, you know, I don't know, do something totally uh, just kind of random almost, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll support them with whatever they want to do and, you know, see if, you know, we can get those opportunities there. And hopefully that's reflected in, um, you know, the behavior analysts that are coming from here. Um, so, I think, you know, if students are interested in coming to UVU, I mean, I think, you know, there's kind of two big selling points to me and that's, it's a beautiful area. Uh, so if you like uh, all the outdoor stuff and like that scenery, that's a good selling point. And then, you know, just a sense of community that's here both at the university and then um, more broadly as well. Well, I've learned a lot. And like I said, you know, I try not to do so much research when I go into these because I like to learn as I'm coming in as well. And I always do. And um, with all of the Utah schools that, you know, I've talked to over the last couple months, um, I definitely am moving Utah up on my list. That's for sure. <laughs> so, um, I mean, thank you all so much for talking with me and, you know, taking time out of your Saturday to meet with me and teach me more, but also, you know, some of our listeners. And um, one thing I always ask too, is that if, you know, anybody has any questions, are, are they okay to reach out? to both of you as well. Is that okay? Absolutely. Great. So, yep. I will include your emails in the description of the podcast. And again, thank you all so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to this episode of university series. And as always, if you have questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions, please feel free to reach out to us at opera innovations at aba